repent and believe in the gospel. Over 300 Christian theologians challenged the corruption of U.S. Christianity. That's the title of a HuffPost article reporting on the Boston Declaration that was issued from the famous Old South Church in Boston on November the 20th. The article goes on to say that the Declaration, condemning the abuse of the Christian faith by many conservatives today, was just written, signed, and released by over 300 Christian theologians attending the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature at an annual meeting of nearly 10,000 professionals in religion. The Religious News Service reported that the Declaration was inspired by the 1934 Barman Declaration from Germany's Confessing Church. And that declaration called out German churches and their complicity with Adolf Hitler's regime. The declaration contends that following Jesus today means fighting poverty, economic exploitation, racism, sexism, and all forms of oppression from the deepest wells of our faith. Now I want to read you just a a little excerpt from the declaration, the opening paragraph. As followers of Jesus, the Jewish prophet for justice, whose life reminds us to love your neighbor as yourself, we hear the cries of women and men speaking out about sexual abuse at the hands of leaders in power, and we're outraged. We're outraged by the current trends in evangelicalism and other expressions of Christianity driven by white supremacy and often enacted through white privilege and the normalizing of oppression. Confessing racism as the United States' original and ongoing sin, we commit ourselves to following Jesus on the road of costly discipleship, to seek shalom justice for the least, the lost, and the left out. One of the signers, Dr. Reggie Williams, professor of ethics at McCormick Theological Seminary, says, Now is the time to follow Jesus, the poor Jewish prophet, whose teaching of the kingdom was the inspiration for the Boston Declaration. Now, let me just say that there's very much in this declaration with which I find myself in complete agreement. We, you and I, as believers in Christ, must bring the peace of Christ to the least, the lost, and the left out. Would you agree with me in that? But at the same time, I believe that the change which this group seeks will not come through this declaration. Because in the opening paragraph I just read to you and in all the rest of the declaration, Jesus is merely a Jewish prophet, a poor Jewish prophet for justice. And that's it. And a quick review from any of us of Old Testament history reveals the success that prophets had. And at the end of the day, it wasn't very much, right? They preached God's word faithfully and they warned God's people faithfully, but their words most often fell on deaf ears. Much of the change for which this declaration calls should come, but here's the thing, a mere prophet can't bring it about. And that's why Jesus is not merely a poor prophet For justice. 
Jesus is also priest. He is also king. He is also the only savior for sinners. And we must have a full, complete Jesus to have full, complete lives and a full and complete expression of his kingdom on earth as he intends it to be. Emptiness in some form will exist wherever Jesus is denied his fullness. Now that brings me to a big announcement. Well, an announcement. It may not be that big. You ready? Drum roll. Last week I talked about no gaps, right? Moses ended, Joshua began. Deuteronomy ended, and now Matthew begins. Matthew! Matthew! Matthew's going to help us, or at least me, not weep and mourn for 30 days. Because why mourn when we have Matthew and the beautiful gospel he wrote? Matthew is a beautiful complement to the book of Deuteronomy. If we could reduce our study of Deuteronomy to, to one word in four and a half years, one word, it would be this word, preparation, right? Because in its pages we heard Moses preach God-inspired words that prepared God's people to live well in the land he promised them. But once Joshua led the people across the Jordan River miraculously, and once those walls of Jericho miraculously came tumbling down, It is no longer the promised land, right? Now it is the realized land. God has fulfilled and been faithful to his promise. And his people now take possession of that land. So, if I could reduce the teaching of Matthew's gospel to one word, it would be fulfillment. Deuteronomy, preparation, Matthew, fulfillment. Because Matthew portrays Jesus as the fulfillment of all that God promised. And he gives us a picture of a full and complete Jesus with that portrait. It's the only way that you and I will live well in this land in which God has placed us. After 54 years of living and 25 years in ministry, I know that people, people like you, people like me, we are seeking fulfillment. It's what we want. We want something to satisfy dissatisfaction. We want something to fill emptiness. And I know that we want our lives. And we want our relationships. And we want the things we do in this world to be meaningful. We want our lives to count for something beyond ourselves and what we have. And so questions for this series will be, what does a full kingdom of God look like here on earth? How are we together bringing this kingdom about? How are you finding your fulfillment in Christ? How is Christ filling everything, everything in your life? We will find fulfillment as we experience Jesus in his fullness. We will find fulfillment as we experience Jesus in his fullness. So, here we go. I need you to know that I am a quick learner. So this time I'm not making any promises to you or to myself. We might finish Matthew in a matter of months. On the other hand, 
Some of you who became parents during the preaching of Deuteronomy may become grandparents during (laughs) our time in Matthew. Maybe the Lord will indicate that we should fly high this time, kind of like flying over the trees, looking down the big picture. Or maybe he'll inspire us to go a little deeper to get among the trees, or maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. (laughs) The Lord knows. I'm excited to see where he will lead us. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you will turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1. When you found your place, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's so full of truth. Thank you, Lord, for uh, preserving your truth and taking it and changing our lives through it. And not just our lives, Lord, but the world through us as we apply your truth to our lives and reach out with the good news of the gospel to others, the least and the lost and the left out. We pray that you would accomplish that in us and through us now for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Definitely not a flyover this morning with one verse. (laughs) You're so discouraged right now. (laughs) Let's begin with the title. The Gospel According to Matthew. This did not appear at the top of the original manuscript. Matthew's name didn't appear on it. It was added later, but still it was added very early in the life of the church, who fully believed that Matthew was the author of this gospel. The earliest attestation of that is Papias, who was bishop of Hierapolis from 60 to 130 A.D. Now, he was a companion of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of the great apostle John. And so the connection is so close, and Papias says that, yes, Matthew is the author of this gospel. I'm not going to take any of our time this morning with arguments against Matthew's authorship of it. If, if you want to read those, you can find it in a commentary or a study Bible. They don't convince me. So I'm just going to work from this base. This is Matthew's story. Matthew's story about Jesus. And according to verse 1, this is a book about the genealogy, or in the Greek, the genesis of Jesus. See, Matthew knows that the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, it's the book of beginnings of of all things, the creation of of all things. And so the genealogy, the genesis of Jesus on earth signals a new beginning, a new start, a great possibility to reflect on during Advent season. Matthew knows that Jesus makes new creation possible. Matthew knows that in Jesus, fulfillment is possible because he experienced those things for himself. Let's think about Matthew's story for just a moment. It's a great preparation as we began to study this 
gospel that he wrote. As you know, Matthew was a tax collector. Now, unfortunately, the cutesy little children's song about Zacchaeus, the wee little man, so cute, he climbed up in the tree to see Jesus. It's all well and good, and it's true, but unfortunately, that has given us the idea that tax collectors are these harmless, affable, cute little characters. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. All right, enough of that. The truth is they were not. Tax collectors were nasty people. Here's how the tax system, you think the American tax system? Anyway, here's how the tax system worked in Rome. The richest of the Roman citizens, they would pay the Roman treasury, the Roman government, money uh, to purchase contracts for geographic regions. And once they purchased those contracts, they were allowed to collect taxes there. And as long as the Romans were paid their asking price, they could care less how much more the, the, the tax collectors brought in. And so you can see where this is going. These Roman capitalists who had bought these contracts, they would hire a manager over this region. And a manager would hire tax collectors who became known as publicans that we read about in, in the New Testament. And they would do whatever they could to make more money. They overcharged people. They brought false charges of smuggling in hope of extorting money. They would detain and open letters, make you pay for them to get them back. They were cruel. They were hardened people. Your plight was no concern to them, poor widow, with children. doesn't matter. Pay your taxes. That's all we care about. So frustration was high, if you can imagine. We can't imagine. Because we're such a litigious society, there's always someone we can sue or take to court. Not so. Who are you going to report the tax collector to? The Roman government? He's hired by them anyway. Makes no difference. And so there was no recourse. Frustration was high. It was the basis of all livelihoods. And Matthew's case was even worse because Matthew was a Jew. But he collected taxes for the Romans. The sworn enemy of the Jews. He would have been considered by them a traitor, apostate. How could you do this to us, Matthew? For Matthew would be like flying a British flag from his house during the height of the American Revolution. Or it would be like Matthew dressing in a blue uniform and strutting down King Street during the height of the American Civil War. Hate is what Matthew would have experienced from his countrymen. It was a nasty system, a nasty system. He would have been considered defiled and corrupt because of his constant contact with with heathen and, and because he was a willing employee of the oppressor. And so basically, Matthew would have been excommunicated from his people. Now imagine Matthew's surprise when Jesus comes along. While Matthew is sitting in his tax collector booth, Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, who actually speaks to him and says to Matthew, follow me. What kind of a a Jew would even speak to Matthew, much less invite him to come and be with him? And so Matthew, in telling his own story in chapter 9, says, I got up. Matthew rose and he followed Jesus. Mark and Luke tell the same story with the same brevity. Only Luke adds that Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. And I think the brevity of the story is meant to to shock us. 
A person who is fulfilled in their life doesn't act like this. You know, if you are satisfied in your work, a headhunter isn't going to have much success in recruiting you, right? If you are happy and satisfied and fulfilled in your home, you're not going to shop around for a new one. If you're satisfied in your relationships, you don't give up on them for new relationships so easily. For Matthew to leave so quickly indicates that he must have had a a deep sense of dissatisfaction and, and emptiness. If he had been full and satisfied, I believe the dialogue here would have been a little different, a little longer. Follow you? I don't know. I kind of like my job. I'm settled here. I have a, a great income. I just don't know if I can leave all of this behind. We definitely see that hesitation in others. I wonder what Matthew was thinking. I can't help it. When later on, after he began following Jesus, he was there when this rich young ruler came up to Jesus. And he said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus eventually says to this young man, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, and they must have satisfied him. I wonder what Matthew was thinking in that morning moment. Dude, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. Nothing you have is compared, compares with following Jesus. But the young man was still deceived by the lie that his riches and his possessions could satisfy him. Another man Jesus encountered, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. See, actually, these men were just making excuses. Because they were not dissatisfied enough with their lives to follow Jesus. Something was still deceiving them that satisfaction could be found outside of following Jesus. But not Matthew. He followed immediately and he found the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So it should be no surprise to us at all that the first line that Matthew writes in his story about Jesus speaks of fulfillment. Matthew calls Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the coming one, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Fulfillment. God made David a promise. Your house, your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. And so that one, Isaiah prophesied, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, proclaimed on these banners. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, 
establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus is the son of David, the fulfillment of the promise of God, the one who fills all things. We read that Jesus is the son of Abraham. You know the promise that God made to Abraham? We read it so often in our study of Deuteronomy, Genesis 12. God basically says, I will bless you, and through you, the one coming through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, Jesus is the son of Abraham. The promise of God is fulfilled in Jesus, the one who fulfills all things. The one in whom and through whom all people can be blessed. Now, who would care about that? Who would care about the Messiah? Who would care about David? Who would care about Abraham? The Jewish people would. Matthew's people. So Matthew writes his story, his gospel, to his own people. And since the Jews were such religious people, we could say that Matthew wanted to evangelize religious people. Now there's a thought, isn't it? (laughs) Matthew wanted to evangelize religious people. Because these people might be deceived into thinking that they could find fulfillment in religion. Matthew knew they couldn't. Matthew knew that with only religion, they would remain empty. But with Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, they would find fulfillment. We move away from verse 1. And we see that Matthew keeps making the same point that fulfillment is found in Jesus. Look in verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now I went over this with you last year, so just in case you've forgotten it, I'll tell you again and see if you grasp it this year. You're not going to, but I'm going to read it anyway. Rare is the biblical scholar that doesn't see something intentional here on the part of Matthew. Because numbers were so important to Jewish people. Numbers represented truth. So follow along. Here's how the thinking goes. (laughs) Three sets of 14 are six sets of seven. Do you remember this from last year? Seven is the sum of three plus four. In Scripture, the number three, when used symbolically, is something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that suggests completion. God is three in one, right? according to Scripture. And Scripture proclaims God to be three times holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is completely holy. The number four in Scripture refers to the fullness of heaven. And the heavens, of earth and the heavens, with their four winds. Three plus four equals seven. And that number in Scripture is the number of completion. Not only for Hebrews, but for Egyptians and Greeks as well. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, He rested, for all was complete. So three sets of 14 is six sets of seven. 
and the way is opened for a seventh seven. And the seventh seven signifies double completeness, perfect fullness in Christ. Did y'all follow that? (laughs) I got to read it. But the point that Matthew's making, whether we grasp it or not, is that what is missing is completed in Christ. That's the good news. Look down in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is the very first of what are referred to as formula quotations. And Matthew is going to use this formula over and over and over throughout his gospel. You're going to, we're going to read things like, So was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Over and over again, we're going to hear it. In addition to these, there are many more quotations from the Old Testament. Because Matthew's theme is a theme of fulfillment in Jesus. Now I know what we like to do. We like to associate ourselves with the gospel of Luke, right? Because Luke wrote to the Gentiles. So, oh, well, Luke is writing to us because clearly we're not... Jews, so we must be Gentiles. But here's what I contend. I contend we are more like the Jews, the religious people. We are people who are very familiar with the things of God. We, like the Jews, are people who know well the truth about God. And so we're more comparable to the Jews than we are to the Gentiles who knew Nothing about God. And so that's why I'm so excited about this series and this gospel. Because what this previously unfulfilled man wrote, Matthew, who found fulfillment in Christ, what he writes to us, religious people. People who know the things of God. What he writes to us will make certain that you and I are always Finding our fulfillment in all of life in the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew might ask us, what are your greatest dissatisfactions in life? What are your greatest dissatisfactions in life? You can't answer that question fully here in this moment. There's not time. But it's a good question to ponder and contemplate when we leave here. For all of us to think through all the different areas of our lives, work life, home life, school life, finances, relationships, ministry, all those areas. How satisfying and how fulfilling do you find them? Where is Jesus In each of these areas. And how full is the role that you allow him to play. See Jesus is not only one faceted to you. He's not just a poor Jewish prophet of justice. Jesus is a prophet. He's a priest. He's a king. He's a teacher. He's a healer. He's an advocate. He's a social worker. He's one who prays. He's a comforter. He's a provider. 
He's a miracle worker. He's a friend. He's a firebrand. He's a craftsman. He's a son. He's a savior. He's the Lord. He's a celebrator. He's a mourner. I could go on and on. Because Jesus is so many things. And so you and I must not fixate on one facet of Jesus. Because just when you want him to be a gentle healer, because that's what you need, he's also a passionate firebrand. In the midst of healing, he's at the same time passionate about eliminating sin in your life and mine. All of us certainly have wounds in our lives that result from our own sin. And so Jesus will be both. Just when you want him to be an abundant provider for you, Lord, give me. Remember that he is at the same time a a social worker who has a heart for the poor. And what he gives you, he will expect you to faithfully steward for the advance of his kingdom and for doing justice. So you and I have to have a full and complete Jesus to live full and complete lives. And to have a full expression of his kingdom here on earth. Emptiness and dissatisfaction in some form will exist wherever Jesus is denied his fullness. And so once again, Advent becomes a season of hope for us. Hope, hope that we will find our fulfillment in Christ and nothing or no one else. And once again, Advent becomes a season of expectation that Jesus and Jesus alone And all his fullness will complete us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you again for time in your word, particularly, Lord, beginning to look at this story about you and about your life and about who you are and about what you have come to do and about the kind of people that you intend us and make provision for us to be by the power of your Spirit. Father, I pray that you would not let this question escape us today. That we'll take time to contemplate our lives, every area of them, and see where our satisfaction is in them. But most importantly, Lord, to see where you are in those areas of our lives. Because Lord, in no way and in no place should you be excluded from any part of our lives. We need, to fill, we need you to fill every area of our lives. Because Lord, Jesus Christ in you and you alone is our life and our hope. Help us find our fulfillment in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.